you can make a blockbuster deal for a rental player. Here's my theory on this, and, and it's a pretty simple one. And, and that's tough. That wears on you mentally. You don't feel great about yourself after eating a, a, a hotel room service meal. Newsday presents the Island Ice Podcast with Andrew Gross. And welcome to Island Ice, Newsday's New York Islanders podcast, episode 77. And I know, I know, I know this is a New York Islanders podcast, so if I say 77, I should be bringing up Pierre Turgeon, correct? Well, look, no disrespect to Pierre Turgeon, who was an incredible player, incredible Islander, but when I think of 77, my mind takes me back to 1987 and Phil Esposito's retirement with the uh, Boston Bruins when Ray Bork, who was then wearing Espo's number seven, takes off his number seven jersey to reveal a number 77 jersey, which he switched to. And that was uh, Espo's number with the Rangers, of course. And, uh, you know, I, I just, I, like I said, I was in uh, college in Syracuse at that time in 1987. I remember seeing clips of that and just loving that moment as a hockey fan. So uh, that that's really what I think of when I think of number 77. But of course, Pierre Turgeon is always, I guess, in uh, Islander thoughts. And uh, after that long ramble, hi, I'm your host, Andrew Gross of Newsday. And uh, you can find me on Twitter at A Gross Newsday. And you can also uh, find and communicate with me one-on-one via Newsday Islanders text. That's your direct connection to me uh, and other Newsday staffers covering the Islanders. Please text 631-303-3766. That's 631-303-3766. Or go to newsday.com backslash Isles text to start your 14-day trial subscription. And on the episode 77 of Island Ice. We'll have NHL Network's EJ Raddick, uh, and we'll, we'll, we'll discuss the upcoming April 12th trade deadline with EJ, and we'll also talk to Samantha Pell of the Washington Post as the Washington Capitals and New York Islanders will play five times in April, including uh, Thursday night, which starts a season-high six-game homestand for the Islanders. So looking forward to chatting to with both EJ and Samantha. Um, but first, let me just bring up real quickly, as, as I said, a season-high six-game homestand. And the Islanders, as we know, have done really, really well at Nassau Coliseum this season. They're 13-1-2 compared to 9-9-2 after a 2-2-0 road trip, uh, which was completed with a uh, couple of losses in Pittsburgh, and why the disparity? Um, and, and you see it around the league. Um, you know, the weird exception being amongst the good teams in the NHL, the St. Louis Blues, who are inexplicably 4-8-4 and four at home and 12-5-2 and two on the road. But that, that, that seems to be the outlier. If you go through the NHL standings, most of the playoff contenders have a really good record at home and, you know, 500, maybe a little bit better on the road. The Islanders sort of fall into that category. Uh, 13-1-2 and two at home, and that's with and without fans at Nassau Coliseum. So I, I don't know if that's the reason. You can't say that's why there's a home ice advantage. And 9-9-2 and two on the road, and he, here's my theory on this, and, and it's a pretty simple one. You know, and, and we, we've heard the players talk about this uh, a lot this season, just how difficult it is on the road this season. Now, the travel is certainly not difficult because, you know, everything's in the Eastern time zone. I think the Islanders' longest flight this season was Boston to Pittsburgh on on this most recent road trip. Um, You know, and depending on wind factors and all that weather, you know, you can probably get that, you know, maybe 90 minutes in the air, maybe a a few minutes more than that. Um, So really nothing to talk about compared to normal seasons where they're flying cross-country or cross-continent, you know, if they're going to Vancouver or something. But when they are on the road, because of the COVID-19 protocols, and, and this is the world we're living in, right, players are pretty much in the hotel rooms if they're not 
at the rink practicing or playing a game. Um, It's a lot of time now spent in hotel rooms, whereas, you know, in past season on the road, it was really team bonding time where players could go out, you know, have, have a team bonding experience or go out just, you know, a group to a restaurant and the Islanders are, are not a clicky team. So, you know, it would be large groups going out together with restaurants or, or just taking a walk around the city, stuff like that. And they're in a cage on the road. Uh, and, and that's tough. That wears on you mentally. I, I really think it does. Um, you know, whereas when, when you get home, you know, not that the players have a ton more freedom at home because, you know, the league is put into, uh, into place COVID-19 protocols for, for a reason, which is to get through this season in a pandemic. So, you know, it's not like the players can run around and, uh, you know, do all this stuff at home that, you know, maybe they, you know, have done in the past, but still you're at home, you're with your family. If you're married, you're, you're with your kids, you're in your own bed, you're, you're, you're making your own meals, you're not having a room service in your hotel room, which is, trust me, folks, I, I, I've been doing this since 2003, and that's a lot of room service meals. It's pretty unsatisfactory. It really is. <laughs> um, you know, you just, you don't feel great about yourself after eating a, a, a hotel room service meal. It kind of takes the joy out of eating in a lot of ways. Um, but, you know, at home, there's just this comfort level. And I think it relieves the mental pressure that these players are going through on the road. And, uh, you know, I, I asked uh, Jean-Gabriel Pajot uh, about that, you know, sort of uh, about that theory and how road versus home, how, how that translates to the team's play on the ice and whether that might be a factor. And, and JG seemed to agree that it would be a factor. Uh, we've had some uh, some long road trips. Uh, so when you come back at home, it's just fun to see your, your wife. A lot, of, a lot of guys have uh, families. Just to come back and see their family, I think, just takes uh, um, your shuts your brain up a little bit. Come back to uh, uh, what what life is re- is really uh, outside of hockey, and uh, then when you come back to the rink, it's all it's all about business. Come to work uh, with, with your friends, and uh, we enjoy doing that. And I think we've had uh, a lot of success at home because of that. And uh, without further ado, because I don't want to get bogged down, there's a lot of great stuff to get to with uh, both EJ Raddick and Samantha Pell. So uh, as I say, I want to go right to my chat with the NHL Network's EJ Raddick. I'm really happy to be joined right now by NHL Network's EJ Raddick. Uh, You can watch EJ on NHL Now weekdays at 4 p.m. And EJ will be part of NHL Network's extensive trade deadline coverage on Monday, April 12th. And EJ, I I know you're going to be a a pretty busy person in the next, uh, you know, 11, 12 days here, but... When do you think the meat of this is really going to come? Is it going to be April 12th or do you suspect, you know, that the busy period might be, you know, backed up maybe five, six, seven days before the trade deadline? You know, there's a few challenges there. They've got to deal with the quarantine issue coming across the border from the U.S. to Canada. Now it's from Buffalo. Apparently he has to only sit for like a seven day quarantine and they have what, what is called a working quarantine within their group so he'll be able to play and practice and and go so that's been alleviated a little bit but i would still think the canadian general managers if they have a trade in mind with an american sooner than later but uh you know as for everybody else you know taking out that cross-border quarantine circumstance um I do think that things have tightened up for some of the teams. For example, Nashville was a team that we talked about as a, as a seller for a couple of weeks. And then lo and behold, they got hot. Chicago kind of cooled off. And now Nashville, Columbus, and Chicago are, are all right on top of each other, battling for that fourth spot. So that probably changes the dynamic for David Boyle. So, I would, I think, what I would, what I would say is that teams in the shortened season, the teams are looking for as much runway as they can find, with the exception of the, of the few teams that are kind of out of it at this point. So uh, I would suspect that uh, that means that things will get pushed back closer to the twelfth when 
allows general managers to take a longer look at their group and make a determination as to whether they want to buy or sell or, or maybe just stand pat. I, I don't know what, you know, what you've been hearing or what kind of whispers, you know, have been going around. It was my impression that, you know, because of a lot of different factors, some of which you just brought up, this has been a little bit quieter, or at least the initial talks have been a little bit maybe quieter than, than previous seasons. Is that uh, kind of your impression as well? Yeah, I mean, uh, we have a flat cap, right? So there's less cap room for people to work with. Um, it's a short season, so that's another factor. We talked already about the the impact of having teams having to trade people, of course, across the border. So there's a number, I think, of mitigating circumstances that may lead to a trade deadline. I know Chuck Fletcher talked about the situation with the Flyers uh, last week at a press conference about that team and you know, he talked about the fact that really it's just hard to do things right now because of the finances involved in the flat cap. So, you know, those are things that are going to be are all going to be part of this. I think I think it's foolish to think that there'll be no trades or like only a handful, because at the end of the day, there's a number of teams that are trying to win the Stanley Cup and they're always pushing to do something. So I think there'll be movement. Uh, I just, you know, it's just not a normal trade deadline for a variety of reasons. So while I expect movement and I expect trades, I don't expect, let's say, 30, dra- 30 trades on, you know, on on April the 12th. Yeah, no, I, I think that would be a very fair assessment. Then I, on the other hand, and, you know, specifically about the Islanders, they are one of the few teams here, you know, you talk about the flat cap and obviously unfortunate circumstances with Captain Anders Lee uh, out for the season with the torn right ACL. But because he's on long-term injured reserve, now the Islanders have his $7 million cap hit to spend above the uh uh, the, 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 the cap ceiling, what kind of position do you, do you feel that puts Lou into, uh, Lou Lamarillo into going into the trade deadline? And, you know, what, what, what's your expectation for the likelihood that, that Lou does make a move or two here? Well, it puts him in a position to trade for a player that is on an expiring contract because moving forward after that, it would create a problem for him, as you know, Andrew. I mean, they're up against it. So, yeah. you know, a player on an expiring contract uh, would could be a fit for the Islanders. And, uh, you know, I think the interesting thing, and you know from, from being around this team, as you are in covering this team, I mean, for me, I think the Islanders, any moves that Lamarillo makes, they have to fit who the Islanders are. I think last year they went out and they got Pajot, and Pajot was such a good fit for who the Islanders are. He can slide in and be a part of that group because they play a particular way under Barry Trotz. And there's been some talk about a Taylor Hall who is a, you know, in the past has been a terrific offensive player has really struggled uh, of late as, as many have in Buffalo. But I don't know if Taylor Hall is really a fit for the way that Barry Trotz wants to play. Now it's nice to say, well, he's a, When he's at his best, he can be a dynamic offensive player, but there is expectations there amongst the Islander forwards to play a a particular way and to be focused on playing in all three zones. So, you know, for me, when I think of the Islanders, the guy that comes to mind is Nick Foligno because he is on an expiring contract with the Columbus Blue Jackets. He's someone that is a big, strong, sturdy left wing, can play center, can move around your lineup. Um, can play the way that the Islanders want to play. And I think he would be a terrific acquisition for the team as a guy that could fit, again, with an expiring contract. Now, the Columbus Blue Jackets just had a nice victory over the Tampa Bay Lightning on uh, Tuesday night. They're in a, a, a kind of a, a death battle for the last spot with uh, the Chicago Blackhawks, Nashville Predators, the Dallas Stars. So the appetite in Columbus to make a trade at this point, you're not certain of. I guess things could change between now and April 12th, but certainly uh, Yarrow Kekalainen has some decisions to make. He's got a long-term decision to make on Patrick Laine, who they acquired from Winnipeg, and he's got a decision to make on 
on his captain, Nick Felino, who's been there uh, and been a really big part of that team for a while. His contract is expiring as a UFA. And the same with David Savard, who is kind of a uh, meat and potatoes, right shot, kind of a strong defensive type player that would have a lot of value around the league as well because of that con- expiring contract. So those are decisions they have to make in Columbus. But when I think of the honors, Felino is a guy to me that fits that is an expiring deal and uh, could be a really nice acquisition for the Isles, but it's just hard to say whether he would be available and if he is, what the price tag is. Yeah, and, you know, I, I, I've brought up Nick Felino a few times, and the, and the other guy I think sort of fits into the, 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 the same, you know, parameters you talk about with Nick Felino is, is Kyle Palmieri with the Devils, an expiring contract. And the way he plays, I think, would, would fit into what Lou and Barry are doing. But it, it's sort of the same situation. I mean, I, I think, you know, if both sides had their preference, Kyle and, and the Devils figure something out. But could you see that, you know, maybe a Palmieri being a fit with the Islanders? I, I, th- I think he could be. I think he could be. I, you know, um, Kyle is a really good player, a hardworking player. And uh, so... For me, I think he could fit into that mode. I think Felino being a left shot and a left wing and a, and a guy that can move around your lineup and play in different spots is probably a better fit. But yep. but yeah. I think Kyle Palmieri is a real good player, a hard worker, a guy that can score goals. So for me, um, you know, I think that uh, he's another guy that could be on the radar screen for the Isles. Do you are there any you know kind of out of the uh, out, outside the box candidates that we we seem to be missing? And I know the thing with Lou Lamarillo is for the most part you don't really know what he's going to do until he's done it. So yeah. it, it's kind of tough to, to to predict which way he's going. Although you know as you mentioned last season with Jean Gabriel Pajot you know, that one was kind of telegraphed. I mean, the, the Islanders kind of, you know, focused in on him probably as far back in, as November before pulling the trigger on that deal. But, you know, I, I know the Islanders had a, had a scout out at, uh, you know, a Coyote Sharks game the other day. And, and here in the East, we're not seeing as much of the West, uh, you know, as we have in, in, in previous seasons, or at least I, I know I haven't. But, you know, are, are there any outside the box kind of candidates that, you know, you might think uh, Lou might might consider? Well, I mean, uh, again, I think because of the cap, you have to, you know, you have to think about that. I mean, in, in a normal circumstance, you know, an Adam Henrique might be somebody that right. that that Lou would consider. He had him. He was part of the group that drafted him in New Jersey many years ago. He's someone that can move around your lineup, has a versatile guy, can play wing, can play center, has played at big games, uh, knows the, the way that uh, Lou thinks. And so because of that, I think that uh, because of that, I think that he would be someone that you would think of right away. But, you know, he's got time left on his contract, I, from what I understand. And I know he was on waivers earlier in the season and no one picked him up at that time. I think that was more about seeing if there was interest from the duck standpoint and looking to, to lose some of that, uh, that money, but that's the problem, right? Andrew is, I mean, yeah. as much as we look at it and Lou might look at it and say, Hey, I love Adam Henrique. He'd be a really good fit for our group. Uh, at the end of the day, you know, if he's got a contract that, that doesn't expire now, he's got decisions to make in the off season. So I think uh, that he would probably prefer to stick with someone who could come in as a rental that could plug and play and go from there but there are candidates in the you know in the west i mean uh, there's been some talk about dustin brown as well now there's another guy he's got one more year left after this year he's had a nice kind of resurgence this year at age 36 right shot guy won two stanley cups so brings that to the table but you know you have to then deal with the next year of his contract uh you know the following season so you know those are things that i i think make those kind of guys unlikely but that said, you know, Lou is pretty creative and, and he might have other plans that and maybe move other people out and, and keep the guys he acquires. So, you know, that's something to consider as well. But I think he likes his group and I think he would like to add without removing any pieces from that mix. Yeah. 
Hey, you know, John Hines in Nashville is a guy like John Tortorella in Columbus who's done an outstanding job keeping his team afloat this season. And I know, you know, probably three, four weeks ago, we were talking about the Predators being sellers. Um, and, and I know a lot of Islander fans have kind of focused in on Philip Forsberg. Um, but, you know, he's got he's got he's a guy with one year left on his deal as well. And I don't know how the Islanders make that fit. But do you think the Predators at this point have any interest in selling or, 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 or are they going to keep this group together and go for it? Well, if I'm the National Predators, I, I like what I see right now. And uh, the guys are, are hustling and, and playing hard. And I go back, uh, you know, a couple of Mondays ago, a couple of Mondays ago, they were in an afternoon game, an odd afternoon, four o'clock start against the Tampa Bay Lightning. And the uh, they came out in that game without Roman Yossi and some other guys around the lineup. But they played really hard and they beat the Lightning in that game. And they've kind of taken off since then. UC Soros came back from injury and it's been lights out good for them. So, you know, when I, when I look at, uh, you know, what's going on in Nashville right now and the, the possibility to make the playoffs, I'm certainly not as eager to trade anybody that I want to keep. I mean, Matias Ekholm was a guy that a lot of people talked about being moved. He's such a terrific, uh, long, hard to play against experienced defenseman. He's got another year left on his contract after this. A lot of teams would love him, I'm sure. But, you know, another thing to consider, Andrew, which I didn't bring up in, La in Lamarillo's thinking and everyone's thinking is when you acquire somebody, particularly somebody with a, you know, a, with a contract that does continue on after this season, you have the expansion draft to worry about as well. Yeah. And so that is another issue at, at hand. So, um, you know, that is something to consider. And I think a lot of teams that looked at Ekholm, they were like, hey, we'd like him when he was when he might have been more available several weeks ago. And now they look and, you know, and at the time they probably said, well, if we get him and he's got another year, I mean, what do we do with our group of defensemen? We have to protect him. Do we have to expose someone we want to keep? So that's another little wrinkle into all the trade deadline talk that we've had that kind of might make it difficult for teams to make moves, particularly on players that have contracts that uh, that continue after this season. So if I'm Nashville right now, I like the way things are, are going. I think I have a chance to make the playoffs. Um, and, you know, this is all done without Matt Duchesne, who's a big ticket item for the Predators. If I was if I was anything with David Boyle, I'd really I'd really reconsider my commitment to Matt Duchesne over the long haul. and might want to think about, you know, in the offseason, seeing if there's any takers there. Uh, yeah, and, and you, you bring up an excellent point about the expansion draft. We, we saw how it kind of shifted the landscape when Vegas came into the league, and uh, I think that'll certainly be the case with Seattle. So let, let's, you know, I, I think the expectations, you know, pretty much from everyone uh, is that Lou is going to be able to make a move or two here. But, you know, in, in the off chance that Lou cannot make a move, what, what do you think of this Islanders team moving forward and their chances uh, in, in the playoffs? Well, I mean, at the start of the year, Andrew, I, I picked them to win the division because I like the structure. I, I mean, I like Barry Trotz. I like uh, the good goaltending. Uh, I like the commitment to the way they play. So all those things to me in the course of a short season where, you know, things are going to go go quick and uh, it's going to be kind of a battle night after night. You can lean on that structure. Now, uh, Washington has played very well. The Islanders haven't been able to do much with Pittsburgh this year. They lost six of the eight games to the Penguins. So that's kind of hurt them in terms of, you know, where the standing is right now. But uh, I expected them to be in the mix for the top of the division. They have been that. We will see how things play out over the last, uh, you know, 18 or 20 games. But, uh, you know, they, they have all the things that make you hard to play against on a night-to-night -night basis. Is they, they really can just lean on the way they play. They have an ensemble cast offensively that can produce offense. They're, they're strong defensively. And, as, you know, I would say the biggest thing, Andrew, and I think you saw it last year when, when Pellick got hurt, is on defense, they've just got to they've got to be able to stay healthy. And, you know, everybody's in that boat, right? I mean, teams right, get injured, yeah. it becomes a bigger problem. But I think the Pellick and Pulak and Letty, are, I mean, those guys are so important to that team. And particularly a guy like Pellick and Pulak, I mean, those two. So 
you know, for me, they've got to, you know, that, that's where that, that's where the Achilles heel could be if they have injury problems on the blue line. But, uh, you know, as you see with Anders Lee being out, as good a player as he is, and he's a captain and he's a strong guy that gets the net to score goals. You know, they have that, like I said, it's an ensemble group offensively. And you've had the emergence of, you know, Oliver Wallstrom and, uh, you know, some other guys have chipped in along the way. And so they can make it happen. They can keep moving forward with injuries up front. I think that the, the problem will be if they had any injuries to those couple of key guys on defense. But we could probably say that, as I mentioned, about a lot of teams in this league. Well, yeah, just look at Florida now with Ekblad out, right? I mean, that, that that's a huge blow. And, and that's exactly what the Islanders went through last season with Pellick. Um, you know, and, and I think before Anders Lee went down, everyone was kind of thinking that, you know, if Lou made a move at the trade deadline or before the trade deadline, it would be to bolster his defense uh, depth. Because as you say, you can never have enough defensemen. Uh, I mean, you know... We, we've seen Thomas Hickey come in and, and, you know, he's still, he can still contribute. So that certainly makes probably the Islanders feel better about their defense depth, but it, it wouldn't shock me if Lou, you know, doesn't feel he can pull the trigger, you know, he's not going to reach on a forward. It, it wouldn't surprise me to see him, you know, try and get a defenseman in. Yeah, I don't, I don't disagree with that. And that is the old saying I can remember when I was uh, in Dallas and, having worked there and then eventually doing some scouting work for the Dallas stars and listening to, you know, the Bob Gaines, who was the manager at that time and Craig button, Doug Armstrong, Les Jackson, the guys that work within that group, who've all gone on to, to other things over the past 20, 25 years. I mean, that was always the mantra. You could never have enough defensemen guys get hurt. You need guys to jump in. You know, the Islanders uh, went out and got Andy green last year. That ended up being a really uh, nice acquisition for them. So, I wouldn't be surprised at that either, uh, even if it's a small, uh, under-the-radar type move because, you know, those guys are so important. You need guys that have NHL experience. It's one thing to be able to call up a kid from the minors and, and put him into a spot, but it's always nice to have an experienced guy as a 7D that can kind of move in and out of your lineup and, and help you. So, uh, no, I think that is, you know, that's probably something on the – you know, on his, uh, on the agenda as well, if they can make it happen, if the price is right and the, and a, and a particular guy might be available to help. Do you, do you have any targets on the, on the trade front, any defensemen you think will be moving? You know, I, 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 I go back, you know, I could see the Red Wings trying to get something out for Mark Stahl, but on that contract, I don't know, you know, who's going to bite, you know, at 5 million plus on a Mark Stahl at this point. Yeah, I do that, but Stahl is at the end of his deal, right? So that's yes, that's yeah. helpful. That's helpful, yeah. and if the team has any room at all, it'll be prorated to the end of the year. So, you know, that's a possibility, I guess, for somebody. Uh, you know, David Savard, I mentioned in Columbus, right shot defenseman. Brandon Montour in Buffalo is an appealing guy because he's still pretty young, and he's, again, expiring contract, UFA. That's somebody that could be uh, that teams are going to look at. Uh, you know, I would think certainly Florida with losing Ekholm would look at a Montour or a, a Savard because of being right shot guys that could kind of slide into where, you know, Ekblad is as best as possible. I mean, when you lose your top defenseman, very, very difficult, near impossible to replace those guys. So, in fact, they played uh, Gustav Forsling quite a bit last night in Florida and that's kind of the way they're going right now. So we'll see, you know, how they, how Joel Quenville continues to move in that area. But uh, you know, there are a number of guys around the league that are kind of back end guys, older guys, you know, you look, you know, Arizona, depending on where they're going to be, they've got a, they've got a number of defensemen within their organization. They're kind of loaded even into their minor league group. So they might, if things start to look bad for them or if they could maybe get something uh, that's helpful for them down the road, Bill Armstrong's a new general manager. He's not married to the players that are there right now. He might be willing to do something. Uh, you know, that's where you got to look at, or as you know, is to look to those teams that are that are kind of out of it right now. Who are the back-end guys or the older defensemen, the veterans that they have that might be valuable? Uh, uh, Nick Jalmerson is one guy in, in Arizona. I think his contract is expiring. I mean, he's got a lot of playoff experience, having won multiple cups with the Hawks. A lot of, lot of mileage on a guy like that, dinged up a lot. But, you know, you never know. I mean, maybe uh, if he's healthy, he could be available for somebody. 
Well, a, a lot to chew on, EJ, and I appreciate you spending so much time going over it. And we'll uh, certainly be paying attention. Again, uh, you can watch EJ on the NHL Network and their extensive uh, trade deadline coverage on April 12th. Uh, EJ, great talking to you, and uh, uh, hopefully we'll do it again soon. Thank you. You got it, Andrew. Anytime. It's good to chat with you and uh, enjoy the rest of the season. Okay. Thanks, man. And thanks again to uh, EJ for his time. Always a, a great guy to chat with. It just knows the league inside and out, knows hockey. Uh, just uh, really a, a great guy. I know you hear me say that a lot, but I have a lot of time for EJ. Just a, a really special guy. Um, and, and I'm sure one who's going to be very, very busy over the next couple of weeks, even if a multitude of trades do not develop. Um, and, and next up from EJ, I, I want to uh, bring on Washington Capitals beat reporter Samantha Pell of the Washington Post. And we'll be right back with Samantha after this message. Get the latest on the New York Islanders when you sign up to receive text alerts all season long. Newsday's Andrew Gross will text you real-time analysis and behind-the-scenes reporting for $4.99 a month. Go to newsday.com slash Isles Text to get started or text 631-303-3766. That's 631-303-3766 or online at newsday.com slash Isles Text. I'm really pleased to be joined right now by Samantha Pell of the Washington Post, uh, one of the people I have not been able to catch up on the road going hanging out in Washington DC has always been one of the most fun things to do on this beat so Samantha thank you so much for taking time it's it's a pleasure speaking and uh, seeing you again <laughs> yeah absolutely no it's been good what a weird season but happy to chat <laughs> <laughs> yeah absolutely has been a weird season but uh, I mean one thing that's not strange is the the Washington Capitals are again up at the the top of the East division standings, you know, in an 11, three run here in, in March and the Islanders and Capitals are going to play five times in April. Um, and that may very well determine who finishes in first in the East division. Um, you know, four games at the Coliseum, the, the Islanders have yet to beat the Capitals three losses in DC. What's what, what's been going so right for the Caps in, in March? You know, they, they seem to have kind of gotten back to their game after maybe some, you know, early struggles, you know, somewhat self-inflicted with all the COVID issues as well. Yeah, that's what I was going to point out is a lot of COVID issues really early. And it just seems like Alex Ovechkin, Evgeny Kuznetsov have just been on heaters, honestly, um, in the month of March. You know, Alex has just been scoring goals I think at a rapid pace I think at one point it was 11 and 11 uh Kuznetsov was kind of similar in the fact that I think he had 12 points in 10 games so those two have been kind of heating up they've been playing on the same line together Peter Laviolette has kind of moved Alex around with different centers you know this throughout his career normally it's been Nicholas Backstrom he's trying to been adding Kuznetsov to that line a little bit more and it's been working um so I'd say those two are probably the biggest assets and then you add you know a Tom Wilson back into the mix after he was suspended early um you know you added Lars Eller who came back just last night against the Rangers so the Capitals were basically doing 11 and two without a Lars Eller, without a Tom Wilson and a lot of guys out of their lineup. And it just seems to be a next man up for the Caps and it's been working. So I would say a little bit of depth, but it's a lot of superstar power in, in the month of March. Yeah, one of the issues certainly early on, you know, with the goaltending, um, Ilya Samsonov was one of the guys in, in COVID protocol. Uh, obviously, we know Henrik Lundqvist was not, a member of the team as he was supposed to, but, but Vanasek has really stepped up and, and tell me, you know, is there, is it a one, one a with Vanasek and Samsonov or, you know, how, how is Peter Laviolette divvying that up lately? Yeah, that's a great question because I think that's what we're all asking here in Washington. So when Samsonov came back off the COVID list, it really seemed like Laviolette was going, you know, one after the other, um, Samsonov was starting one, then Vanacek, and then Samsonov got two, Vanacek got two. So he was really going back and forth. And then all of a sudden, the Capitals had a stretch of three back-to-backs. And basically, they had to use every, both goalies in every situation. There was really no clear contender of who's out in front. Uh, even last night, Peter Laviolette was still rotating them. So it's going to be really interesting, I think, to see who gets these Islanders starts in these next 
you know, games coming up because I think those are the biggest ones and those are going to be really big tells for what Peter Laviolette wants to do and who he has to trust in. I think with both goalies, I think they've had kind of troubles closing games late and that's been the biggest issue for the Capitals. I think obviously goalies can't be uh, blamed for every single goal, uh, but definitely they should be needed um, to step up, you know, late down the stretch when, you know, you kind of need a playoff goalie to make a couple saves to, you know, bail out some of your defensemen. And I think the Capitals are still trying to figure out which young goaltender is going to be able to do that for them in the playoffs. Is, is Craig Anderson part of this at all at this point? Or or is he just kind of in, in case of emergency break glass? He's definitely in case of emergency if everything goes south. If we can't find Vanacek or Samsonov um, on a game day situation. Um, but yeah, you know, I think they gave Craig Anderson that one start really early just to see. And I, I I don't think they he met expectations just based off of he hasn't even been close um, to starting a game, hasn't really been in the conversation, even when Samsonov was out. So I think they really had a lot of trust in Vanacek. I think Peter Laviolette said time and time and again, his favorite phrase with him is Vanacek has given us a chance to win games. Mm-hmm. Um, but us in Washington are just, I guess, more interested in, is that enough uh, come playoff time? Do they need a veteran goalie at the trade deadline? Um and as they play more and more games here where things start to get tight, uh, leads start to get lost on the stretch, does that show kind of a weakness there? Um, I, I was going to ask, you know, we see these videos of Henrik Lundqvist working out pretty hard. And you mentioned, do they need a veteran goalie? Is there any thought within the organization that Henrik could be available you know, me, I, I would be really hesitant, the guy coming off heart surgery, but I also know Henrik and how gung-ho he is about everything, and I know how much he's going to push and probably push the organization. Is there is there any word out of, you know, the Caps organization whether Hank is, is an option at some point down the road? A few weeks ago, we chatted with general manager Brian McCullen, and we brought up Henrik Lundqvist and I think Brian was hesitant uh, to say, you know, could Henrik actually come back? I think he said, you know, never say never with Henrik. Obviously, everyone's seen the videos. I I wouldn't go far as to say he's an option um, because that gives a little bit too much hope there. But, you know, I think if Henrik does come back, he says, look, I'm ready to go. Doctors have completely cleared me. The Caps medical staff and trainers have agreed. I think, yeah, maybe there is a slight chance. I just think it's a major long shot here, especially in an abbreviated season. You know, he's coming off of heart surgery, um, a lot of factors there. But yeah, overall, I mean, I wouldn't rule it out. I just think it's a, it's a pretty big long shot. <laughs> kind of building off that. The, the Caps are coming into this Islanders game, coming off two games against the Rangers. And I'm looking, the Rangers are the, what, the only team to beat the Caps, you know, since uh, a loss to the Bruins, right? March 5th, right? right? <laughs> Does, does the way the last two games went and, you know, the, the Caps won the first game in D.C., what was it, 5-4 mm-hmm. after leading, what, 4 nothing? Four. Yep, in the and, third. <laughs> and, and last night, the, the Caps have a 2 nothing lead at the Garden and they can't hold that. The Rangers scored twice early, or twice in the second period, go on to a 5-2 win. You know, sometimes coaches have an inkling when when things are about to turn south. Do you do you look at those two games as you know any kind of red flag alarm bells that you know that the Caps are are about to enter some kind of you know more difficult stretch here? I think it does. I think there's a little, especially knowing how much they play the Islanders in the month of April and how much those games do bear a lot of weight, I think, on top of these. I think it is a concern, but then you ask players and you look at their overall game and they're pretty content with how, you know, things started in both of those games. They really felt like everything was rolling right. And then, you know, one little mistake, let's even talk about last night, Dimitri Orlov just gave the puck away um, in the Rangers zone that led to a Rangers breakaway and all of a sudden the momentum completely shifts. So it seems like the Cavs have been just giving up more big mistakes and big errors in these last two games that honestly they haven't been doing all season. It's more been little things or little miscues. And now it seems like there's glaring errors. Um, I wouldn't say it's constructive or it's completely system wise. I think it's really just individuals, um, you know, not reading plays or making the wrong read that's kind of led to this turnaround. So I think tomorrow night against the Islanders is probably going to be the biggest test. And then we'll have a couple games against New Jersey to regroup if they need to. Um, <laughs> but I think overall, um, 
I don't think it's about to go completely south for the Caps. I think this is just a warning of you need to play a full 60, and they haven't done that this season. What has been the the Peter Laviolette effect uh, on the Capitals? I mean, this, this is a guy with a reputation. When he goes into a new place, he, he gets things turned around pretty quickly. And obviously, you know, the, the Caps moving on from Barry Trotz, you know, three seasons ago now after winning a cup. Didn't work out with Todd Reardon, which I know McClellan really wanted it to work out there. What, what, what's been the Peter Laviolette effect so far? And it did it take the team a little bit to, to adjust to what the new coach wanted? Definitely took a, I would say, a good month or two, I think, to adjust to what Laviolette wanted. I think, you know, he comes in here, Peter Laviolette's always very personable. You know, how he kind of gets his teams to trust in him is a lot of you know, team building, chemistry, kind of talking to guys one-on-one, getting to know their families, like doing stuff outside the rink. And now you enter a COVID world where all of that's gone. You can't even have a team meeting with all your guys in one room off the ice. That has to happen on the ice. You're doing separate, you know, virtual meetings and all that stuff. So it's harder to build relationships that way. So I think, you know, it's very understated how much Laviolette's impact has been on the Caps this season. I'm not sure if the Caps would be doing as well as they have been, honestly, if they didn't have Laviolette at the head. I think just the way his coaching style works, the systems, him bringing in Kevin McCarthy with him on defense, I think the Capitals' blue line has been the best it has been um, in recent memory, just with how everything's been working, adding in a Justin Schultz, adding in a Chara, who we haven't even talked about. Like, just those guys in the room, I think, um, helps a lot. So, yeah, I think Laviolette's been a really great addition to this team, and I just think the way that he's running things is why I think a lot of people have hope for the Caps um, come playoff time. Well, you brought him up, uh, another former Islander from the way past, like <laughs> Laviolette was, but how has Big Z been for this team? <laughs> he, he's another guy that I think very understated, and I think sometimes people forget that Zidane Char is on the Capitals. Um, but I think just his leadership in that room, I, he acts as another coach, honestly, on that blue line. I think Kevin McCarthy has a lot of trust in him. Um, they're kind of seeing the same things on the ice. He's been a really big influence on a guy like Nick Jensen. They're in the third pairing who, um, you know, really kind of needed some type of boost, some type of confidence boost. And now he's contributing offensively. I think overall, John Carlson now has someone else that he can kind of work out with there um, in the blue line. So, yeah, I think I think he's been a great addition to the group, and it seems like he's blended right in. Well, if he ever went into coaching, he would literally be the most imposing coach ever in <laughs> NHL history, right? Absolutely. <laughs> Listen to everything he says. Never say no. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, let's see. Uh, um, has there been... I don't know if you've caught in wind of this, but, you know, I mentioned, you know, it didn't work out with Todd Reardon. Has there ever been, you know, privately any kind of regret over letting Barry Trotz going kind of like, what the heck were we thinking? (laughs) I I feel like, you know, when Brian McClellan has been asked about that in similar situations, I think the default is always, let's talk about money. Um, you know, things just didn't really add up there. It didn't work out. I'm sure there probably is a little bit of regret um, letting him go, but I think overall it's always been, look, the money situation wasn't there. We didn't agree with this. Um, we went our separate ways and here we go. But I think anyone who's looking at the Capitals thinks, okay, well, maybe this was two lost years of the Alex Ovechkin era. You have to think about how many years Alex has left, how many guys, you know, how many pieces they want to surround him with. And if he doesn't have, he believes the coaching um, that can then help them do that. You know, maybe it is a waste of two years. So I think, you know, hindsight's twenty twenty. They can always say, look, maybe we should have kept trots around. Would that have actually got Alex another cup um, in this situation? Who knows? But yeah, there's. I think there's always going to be a little bit of regret there. Well, and, and, and because it's not just Barry Trotz, right? They mm-hmm. let Lane Lambert walk right. out the door. They let Mitch Korn walk out the mm-hmm. door. And, you know, I mean, to, to the- A lot of pieces. Day, Yeah, (laughs) to the Islanders' benefit, of course. But I I wanted to ask you, um, you you mentioned, you know, will will the Capitals, you know, be looking, you know, for a goalie, veteran goalie, uh, trade deadline coming up very shortly here, April 12th. What do you think the Caps need? And what's your sense of how crazy or not crazy this trade deadline is going to be with, you know, essentially every team under some kind of salary cap crunch? Yeah, 
I think the trade deadline is going to be really interesting just because originally I was thinking, okay, the Canadian teams in quarantine and how's that going to work with two weeks. And now it's down to seven days, which I think is a little bit more reasonable in the eyes of NHL teams. So I think that probably opens up the market a little bit more, but overall, my sense is it's a short and abbreviated season. Like a team like the Capitals have zero cap space um, to really play with anything. So I think they're going to have to be very strategic in their moves. And is it going to be a one for one, a two for one? Is it going to be, you know, draft picks? Do they want to give up draft picks in a abbreviated shortened season where people aren't really sure what's going to happen um, down the stretch? There's not a lot of time between now and the end of the season. So I don't think it's going to be terribly crazy. I think the biggest trades are going to happen before the deadline. If they're going to happen, I think you have to look about a week, a week and a half before the trade deadline now for the big names to go. And then you're starting to get little pieces. But for the Capitals, I, I do think they probably need a winger um, or a center. I think Lars Eller being out for a long period of time has kind of exposed their center depth. They had to use TJ Oshie, who's definitely not a center. Um, in a lot of situations, they had to rotate their centers. They played with 11 um, forwards for a lot of games, honestly, without Lars, just because they didn't have any money to bring even a taxi guy up to fill his spot. So probably a center is what the Capitals would be looking for if they can find one. Now, what do they give up? I, I think that's the bigger issue. They have a lot of guys on D. They have eight defensemen on the active roster right now, probably 10 in the organization that, you know, could play in the NHL. So I could see one of them being moved. Um, but again, the Capitals do not have any salary cap space. So I think if they're going to have to make a move, they're going to have to trade, you know, a guy with a significant cap hit. Have, have the Caps, and I'll wrap it up with this, have, have the Caps, you know, I know from the Islanders' point of view, we always talk about, uh, talk to Barry about playing the Caps just because, right? Um, is it reciprocal? Do, do, the, do the Caps talk about looking forward to playing Barry? And have they talked about, you know, I know they were concentrating on the Rangers and it's always one game at a time, but has anyone talked about these five games coming up against the Islanders and, and how critical they may be, you know, down the stretch. You know, they really haven't, you know, Peter Laviolette's a type of coach that's very take it one day at a time, even with injuries, with goalie situations, it's always, look, I can only tell you what's going to happen today. I don't have any update for later. So I think that's how they kind of function. At least I've seen under Laviolette, it's just, let's take this one game at a time. Let's do the Rangers. Let's get that over with. And now, as we look ahead and we can see how many times we play the Islanders, um, that's when they'll kind of start talking more. I think last year there was a lot of questions, I think, in the bubble about playing the Islanders and Barry and, you know, just that familiarity with systems. I'm not sure if it's even been brought up this year, honestly. I think that chapter has sort of been turned, I think, for the Caps just because they've gotten a new head coach. You know, Todd Rudin was associated with the Barry Trots. Now everything seems to be separated. Um, in that sense. So we'll see, we'll see in the next couple of days if they start to talk, you know, about old stories and stuff like that. But it seems like everything's kind of a new chapter, a new leaf. And, and just lastly, one or two things you think the Islanders need to do to have success against the Caps? What, what would be successful against the Caps? I think, I think a fast start, which is very cliche, but I think anytime the Capitals kind of find themselves in a hole early, um, it's, it's not a panic, but I, I think it is a, oh, we need to get, you know, we need to get going. We need to get this energy going. And sometimes they just don't have it. The Capitals, I believe now are 18, two and one, or no, 18, two and oh, um, when leading into the third period. So they've been very good, honestly, when they've gotten into the third, but haven't been able to really pull it back together and complete a comeback when they've gotten down early. Um, the other thing, yeah, I would say attack the capstone with speed. I think the Capitals sometimes get a little bit caught flat-footed. Um, and so that's probably two of the biggest things I would say about the Islanders. Yeah, and that's huge for the Islanders because they've played from behind all four games on that 2-2-0 road trip. And mm -hmm. the last three games were multiple goals, you know, at least cool. two goals down. So, of course, it didn't work that 6-3 loss in Washington, right? The Islanders right. were up 3 nothing in the first period, and the Caps said, out of heck with it. But right. <laughs> It always seems to go either way, right? It's either yeah. you start out fast and you go slow, or it's you start out slow and you have a great third period. So, you know what? Hockey. <laughs> <laughs> well, listen, Samantha, I really appreciate uh, you taking a few minutes, and uh, it'll be good to be chatting with you a bunch over the, the – <laughs> the rest of April here. Thank you so much. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. 
And thanks again to Samantha for all her time. And, uh, you know, if you don't get a subscription to the Washington Post, read Samantha's work. She, she's done really marvelous work uh, since taking over that beat at the Post. And, and again, you know, one of, the, one of the fun things on the road, you know, was, you know, in the playoffs or, or just the trips down to Washington was just hanging out in general with the, the Washington Capitals uh, media down there. A great group, uh, you know, Tom Galetti from NHL.com, who I worked with for many years at the Bergen Record. Always great seeing him, Stephen Wino from the Associates. Associated Press, certainly Samantha. Um, one of the things, as I mentioned, you know, we certainly missed during the pandemic. But uh, again, thank you, Samantha, and thank you, EJ. And, and now it's time for your questions and Andrew's answers. It's time for your questions with Andrew's answers. Aaron, I took these uh, questions via Newsday Islanders texts. Well, we'll we'll start out here with uh, Joe Hunsberger, who says, any word out of Fort Islanders around the league as far as who the Islanders are talking to? I I presume Lou Lamarillo is speaking with everyone about everyone. However, based on the salary cap crunch uh, that the Isles and many teams are stuck in, do you believe Lou will make a blockbuster deal or more something on the margins, as in pick up a rental player and another bottom six forward. Uh, Well, Joe, you know, I I think all options are certainly on the table, as as you heard uh, uh, EJ and I discuss, and uh, we got EJ Raddick's thoughts on what the Islanders might do uh, on or before the trade deadline. But yeah, I, I think you're correct in presuming Lou is speaking to everyone about everyone, um, now, look, when you say a blockbuster deal, I think, you know, and, and I agree with EJ and, and we've been saying this and even Lou, you know, seemed to indicate that the, the preference was for a rental player. You can make a blockbuster deal for a rental player. You know, I wouldn't think those are mutually exclusive. But, you know, a, a, as I mentioned to EJ, I, I don't think Lou is going to push this. You know, if if he doesn't feel like, you know, it's the right cost for the right player. You know, Lou Lou really does not care about public perception. You know, I know everyone is clamoring for him to make a trade, but if he doesn't, I, I don't think he's going to be bothered that, you know, social media is going to blow up or, you know, media like me might criticize the non-move. I, I don't think Lou... Lou really cares about that stuff at all. Um, So, uh, you know, if there's no move to be made that in Lou and the organization's uh, opinion, you know, really further better the team or make sense for the team, then, you know, know, nothing's going to happen there. Um, As far as, you know, uh, another bottom six forward, as you heard me mention with EJ, you know, it wouldn't shock me to see them go after defense depth before another bottom six forward. Uh, but again, you know, I, I think if there's a move, and, and EJ is EJ is very strong on Nick Foligno, uh, fitting in with the Islanders. You've, you've seen me write about Kyle Palmieri. That would be my pick. I, I don't think you could go wrong with either a Kyle Palmieri or a Nick Foligno with the Islanders. And I, I would think those two uh, head up any list in, in terms of, you know, the kind of player that Lou is targeting here. But uh, again, you know, uh, anything to shore up. I don't think another bottom six forward is, is necessarily necessary. You still have Austin Zarnick hanging around. Um I would think it would be defense depth before another bottom six forward. And uh, let's see. Um, And I'm sorry here. I cut off the name of who asked me this. So I apologize for that. But the question was, with Aaron Ekblad out for the Panthers, have the Islanders inquired about, uh, oh, have the Panthers inquired about uh, Thomas Hickey or Sebastian Ajo? And yeah, it, it's no secret around the league that, you know, the Panthers are suddenly in a big time market uh, for a defenseman. And I'll go one better than Thomas Hickey or Sebastian Ajo. Um, 
Do you think the Panthers are going to inquire about Scott Mayfield? And and to me, Scott Mayfield makes a lot more sense for the Panthers because he's a right-handed shot like Ekblad, and he would probably, you know, certainly a bigger body than either Thomas Hickey or Sebastian Ajo. Um, to me, if I'm the Panthers, I ask about Scott Mayfield first and, and see if, uh, you know, there's a deal to be made there. I, I doubt it just because I don't think Lou Lamarillo wants to dip into his defense depth. He, he knows he has a team that can be a very strong playoff contender, and why would he weaken that going into the trade deadline? But perhaps this could be part of a, a, a bigger deal between the teams. Um, let's see. Uh, yeah, so Joe asked about Aaron Eckblad, and Joe also gets in a question about with the expansion draft looming, how does that play into our upcoming moves? And, uh, well, as you heard you know, EJ bring up, you know, the expansion draft looms over everything, and that's probably a reason why you don't want to bring on anything more than a rental. Uh, I thought it was an excellent point by EJ, because that's just another player you have to protect this offseason. So I, I think that certainly not Islander-specific, I think when you're looking around the league, teams in general are going to be looking for those rentals and players they don't need to uh, spend, uh, you know, get on their exempt list for the expansion draft uh, this offseason. And now that I'm, I'm back on track in terms of knowing who's asking what, and thank you so much, Joe, for those three questions, uh, we're on to Michael Tricarico, who says, my question is this, do you think that Lou will be able to make a trade soon, or do you think he's going to have to wait until the deadline? The Islanders have six games between now and then, and that's before the start of this season-high six-game homestand against the Capitals on Thursday, and they could really use the boost sooner rather than later. And uh, Mike T, I, I agree. I agree with that. I, I would like to see... Uh, you know, the Islanders solidify their lineup now and have as much time as possible to adjust to whatever lineup changes they're going to make. But, you know, it takes two to make a trade. Um, you know, there, there's no doubt that Lou has made the calls, is making the calls. Uh, as you heard me and EJ discuss, it's sort of been a slow developing trade market. Yeah, Eric Stahl went up to Montreal, uh, you know, but but there hasn't been the slew of pre-trade deadline uh, uh, trades as of yet. I, I do think that's going to open up over the next, you know, uh, you know, three to seven days. I, I think you're going to start seeing more and more trades being made. I think the Islanders would prefer to make a trade sooner rather than later. Um, and, and that's, again, as discussed with DJ, because of, you know, quarantining issues and all that. And plus, let, let's face it, the Islanders, uh, you know, do need some help, uh, you know, we, we can discuss, you know, the benefits of Leo Komarov in the lineup ad infinitum. And, and we've discussed what what Uncle Leo does bring to the table. But, you know, uh, I, I'm not shy in saying I don't think, you know, what Leo brings to the table it works as well uh, with, with a Matthew Barzell and a Jordan Everly. I, I just, you know, he, he's much more of a, you know, a grinder bottom six type of guy. So, yeah, you know, they need someone who they can slot in with Barzell and Everly in the worst way. Um, Thomas Boyle says, I absolutely agree with Mike T saying that if the Islanders don't make a trade, they will not get out of the division in the playoffs. And uh, I think, uh, you know, Thomas is, uh, uh, that was not specifically what Mike T said, but, uh, you know, I think the tenor is the same. And, and Thomas Boyle goes, I am going a step further in saying they will not qualify for the playoffs. This is if the Islanders don't make a trade. My question is, what is Lou waiting for? And, and, and Lou is simply waiting for the correct trade partner. Uh, like I said, right now, I'm sure if Lou is not made a trade, it's because, in his opinion, it would be overpaying or the players he's he's targeting are not available yet. You know, Columbus has to decide, as again, what EJ and I discussed, Columbus has to decide what they are doing with Nick Foligno. Are they going to move him or are they, are they not going to move him? You know, are they going to make a playoff push? Do they want to keep Nick for the uh 
for the playoff push. And, and the same deal with the Devils and the uh, and Kyle Palmieri in that, you know, there's still some thought that those two sides, as I mentioned, would want to work out a contract extension. Uh, knowing Kyle a little bit, I, I certainly think his preference is to stay with the New Jersey Devils. And, uh, you know, I think they're going to, you know, him and his agent are going to work to see if that's a possibility before Tom Fitzgerald uh, moves on and, and trades Kyle as a rental. So, um, you know, again, Lou, Lou could be ready to make a trade yesterday, but if there are no teams willing to step up and, and dance with them at this point, then, you know, you can't make a trade. Uh, Jonathan Goldstein says, what is the status of Michael Dalcal um, and any projections on a lineup shakeup or shakeups? Um, is that shakes up or shake ups? Anyway, um, the status of Michael Dalcal is, uh, after missing the, the two games in Pittsburgh, he did not practice on Wednesday and it does not seem he will be available for the start of this homestand. Beyond that, it's the, uh, the dreaded day to day where without much, uh, uh, much definition on what's going on there. And, and I think you're seeing that, you know, as I've mentioned in previous episodes, Michael Dalcal certainly has a value to this lineup. He really, really does. Uh, his work along the walls, his, his work on the forecheck, uh, you know, and, and getting to the crease, even if he's not scoring. Um, and, and you see, you know, now, now Barry is trying to figure out two lines. You know, uh, he's got Leo on Matthew Barzell's line. Uh, he had Ross Johnson on uh, on JG Pajot's line, uh, and 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 that was moving Anthony Beauvillier up with uh, Brock Nelson. So uh, you know, Anders Lee being out is, is certainly you know putting a crimp in the Islanders' uh, you know four line balance, and and having Michael Dalcal out as well uh, certainly is 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 another you know, taking another uh, a bit out of that that four-line balance. And, uh, you know, it's just leaving a little bit of scrambling. As far as shakes up or shake-ups, um, you know, I, I, I'm wondering if we see Anthony Beauvillier with, with uh, Matthew Barzell at any point. I'm wondering... You know, do you move Josh Bailey to the left side? I, I know that's taking away from Brock Nelson, but could you go Josh Bailey, Matthew Barzell, and Jordan Eberle, and then, you know, Brock Nelson with Oliver Wallstrom and uh, X? You know, I, I, I'm not quite sure you know, uh, who Barry would trust in that spot. You know, he's given Kiefer Bellows a look here and there, still doesn't trust him defensively, which is what's keeping Kiefer out of the lineup on a consistent basis. Otherwise, you would say, boy, you know, Kiefer would really help this team out, right? Um, you know, Leo Komarov, I, I, I don't see putting him with Brock Nelson if I'm not crazy about him with uh, Matthew Barzell. Uh, and, and the same deal for Ross Johnson there. So again, you're you're kind of, you know, you know, in a hole there where you're 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 almost weakening your 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 top two lines if you kind of load up. I mean, and this would be the Islanders' version of loading up: Josh Bailey, Matthew Barzell, Jordan Eberle. At this point. Um, you know, you could play Leo with Pajot and Wall. Uh, well, no, I've I've taken Wallstrom and put him with uh, with Nelson, right? So uh, it's a bit of a conundrum, and I think it's it's also because you don't want to shake up Casey Sezikis's line with uh, Matt Martin and uh, and Cal Clutterbuck. So that that's why you know Barry's almost sort of cornered in with playing Leo with Barzell, just because it works. Uh, that, that that's his best bet for getting the other lines to work as well. Um, Chris Nietzsche says, Andrew, would it be unfair to say that the team could be considered fragile since they seem to spiral downward when even just one of their core players is out of the lineup, or is it more an issue of depth? Um, and, and yeah, I, I don't, I would not consider the Islanders fragile. Um, you, you can just, you, you saw that on the, 
on the road trip, you know, uh, if anything, they, they get off to slow starts where they, they fall behind in all four games. And, you know, other than the Philadelphia game where they trailed by one goal, it was least a two-goal margin in, in the other games. Um, you know, if they were a fragile team, they wouldn't have come back to get the points in Philly and Boston and, you know, and they, they, they got to 2-1 against the Penguins. So I, I would never call the Islanders a fragile team. Um, it is an issue of depth at this point. And, uh, you know, when you talk about one of their core players, Anders Lee is a, a somewhat unique player uh, for this team in, in how he, you know, gets his big body to the crease and just does so many things. And, uh, you know, uh, again, just to tie a bow uh, around all of this, it's something that Lou Lamarillo absolutely, absolutely, absolutely needs to address via trade here and whether, you know, he does or not is something we'll get to see over the next uh, 10, 12 days. But uh, anyway, listen, thank you so much for uh, for turning us on for episode 77 of Island Dice, Newsday's New York Islanders podcast. Uh, I'm Andrew Gross, again, of Newsday. I'm on Twitter at A Gross Newsday. You can find everything I write or say on the Newsday website. That's newsday.com backslash aisles. You can find it all there. And please consider uh, subscribing to Newsday Islanders text. That is, again, your direct connection to one-on-one communication with me and other Newsday staffers. The text to get started there is 631-303-3766. That's 631-303. 3766. You can also go to newsday.com backslash IELTS text to start your 14-day trial subscription. And I hope everyone enjoys this season-high six-game homestand that will really play a crucial uh, determining factor in how high in the standings the Islanders can get when this is all said and done in just a little over a month here with this 56-game regular season. Till the next episode, happy hockey, everybody.